All right. Well, just a quick update, building update. I told you I'd be giving them as much as possible this summer as we're out here on the property. Uh, before you leave, while your feet are on the land, pray. I ask that you'd pray for our project, for our property, for what God wants to do here. We have signs out back that kind of generally mark what the building layout is. There's some um, graphics out there in the field as well. Go out there and stand in the, the virtual building and pray. We'd ask you to pray. Uh, this week, I filled out paperwork and a check um, to send to the city, and I took it down to the city of Ording and dropped it off, and it is for a variance application. I think I shared we're arguing, arguing, we're negotiating some, <laughs> oops, the truth came out, uh, uh, over some wetland issues, and so um, I got an email back. Our biologist has to write up some paragraphs, apparently, and then we're, we'll be presented to the hearing examiner. I don't know who he or she is, but let's just pray that whenever that, I'll, if I find a date, I'll let you know. You can show up, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to make our case, and um, we'll just pray that whoever he or she is is having a really good day that day. And, uh, and we just are praying for the favor of the Lord. So if you would be uh, joining me in prayer for that whole process, um, that's kind of the last piece that, that we need to unlock everything. So uh, pray for that whenever that comes up, that hearing that's coming up at a date that I will find out at some point and let you know. But that's what's next. And so um, I'd, probably not this week because I know that our our biologist has to do some, some write-ups and things like that, and sometimes that takes a couple weeks. So, uh, But pray for our property. Um, I have a confession to make as we get into the Word. Uh, this morning, Pastor Matt went and made a uh, U-turn at a, a light somewhere, and my confession is that I'll make a U-turn anywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm being honest. Here's the thing about me. If I'm going the wrong direction, as soon as I find out I'm going the wrong direction, I don't want to be going the wrong direction anymore. And so I just turn around. And, and, and I've had my wife or my kids go, can you do that? Can you turn right here? I'm turning. Can you turn right here? Well, I just did. And then I look in the rearview mirror and look for the lights, the flashing ones, you know, and I don't see any. And I'm like, okay, yes, you can turn here. Um, I know I'm a bad, that's a bad example, but I'm just being honest. I don't like going in the wrong direction. I don't like waiting in lines. I don't want to waste time. If I'm going the wrong way, let's go the other way as quick as possible. That's just me, all right? I do it safely. Just, just disclaimer there, no accidents. Just questionably. Um, we're in our last week of uh, our sermon series, Sacred Ground. We've been in this series since March, I think. And uh, 16 weeks, so if you've hung in here all 16 weeks, congratulations. Uh, we've been studying the book of Ezra, and this sermon series has been about plowing the sacred ground in our lives. That is, God's calling us to break ground in our lives this year at Abundant Life, that we start with the spiritual things, the spiritual renewal, the priorities, the building the temple of our hearts. And last week, we discussed the issue of separateness and the call to holiness. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go on YouTube, uh, wherever you find a podcast, our church app, and listen to that because this is really the second half of that message. They go together. This is chapters 9 and 10 kind of blended together here. The issue at hand had to do with making covenant with a group of people who were drawing them into idolatry and worship of false gods again. As, as we look at Israel again and again. And Ezra, the leader of this group, gets word. And 
as we look into this passage and we look at this, this call to turn, and that's really what we're talking about today, is wh- how do you turn? And when do you turn? And how do you know when it's time to turn? These are the things that we find in Ezra chapter 9 and 10. And I will say that the issue at hand, if you just read it, you go, well, this is strange. And I, and I will just, in quick summary of last week, this is not a race issue. This was, not, uh, this was not an ethnicity issue. This was an idolatry and worship of false gods issue. And so it seems strange to us in our context where you're seeing God saying, you shouldn't have married these people, you need to split. It's a strange concept, but it has to do with the, 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 the idea of separateness and holiness. And to really understand the context behind it, you gotta go back to last week. But as we dig into this this week, uh, I don't, if you weren't here last week, I don't want you to think this is strange. Why is God racist or something? He's not. We discussed that last week. And so you can go back and listen to that. So here's Ezra's response. He gets the news that he, he shows up to just really take on a church. It would be like a new pastor showing up to take over a church and he's excited. It's his first day and he's like, this is going to be awesome. And someone comes up to him, some people, and they go, hey, by the way, everybody here, in fact, most, it's usually like, usually, it is usually, it's often, and this is the case in this situation, the leaders are the problem, not in abundant life though. That's not the problem. Just making that clear. But what happens is you see leadership issues in our world. Do you see leadership issues in our world? <clears throat> okay. So, and in the church, they're there too. It's no, their church isn't exempt. Um, it should be different, but it's not exempt. Uh, and so he's like, coming ready, going to pastor this new church. And some people come to him and say, hey, by the way, there's some major sin happening here. People have gone astray. They're worshiping false gods. They're idols. And by the way, some of your leaders, um, you might need to fire some people. And this is his first day on the job. I, I, I think his excitement of, of pastoring this church, really, he came to teach. He was a teacher of the law, probably kind of fell back a little bit. So he gets the news, and here's his response. Let's turn to Ezra chapter 9, starting with verse 3. Um, because our screens aren't as big as they are when we're over at the high school, uh, bring your Bibles you can open your church app and uh, under the notes, the text is there as well. But I, haven't, I don't have all the, the text here because it's too small. It says, as soon as I heard this, Ezra says, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. What a sight that must have been. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God. He actually said that in context, not like our world says it. Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. This section of scripture right here, this little passage at the end of Ezra is really the cornerstone of spiritual renewal. In fact, I would argue to say that spiritual renewal doesn't happen without this section of text. 
And this is really what birthed the revival and the spiritual renewal in Israel at this time was right here in these few verses. Ezra's actions really completed the journey of the exiles returning to Jerusalem. Yes, they returned and they rebuilt a temple. That mattered. That was important. But the truth is, it was never about the building. It was never about the building. It was about the reconstruction of the heart. Do you ever have God ask you to go do something and you go out and you're like, oh, this is what it's about. It's no big deal. And then you get into it and you're like, this was a setup. Has that ever happened to anyone? Like God was trying to do something here and he's changing your heart. And they went to rebuild a temple and do some construction, but it was about the reconstruction of their hearts. That's what God wanted in his people. And so we see Ezra's response to the heart problem. So let's talk about this response. What was his response and what does this mean to us today as Christians? See, a normal part of a Christian's life is to be confronted by our sin. That should be a normal part of a Christian's life. Now, usually and hopefully, that's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin so that when we're going the wrong way, the Holy Spirit reveals to us, this isn't right. Hey, that thing you just said to your wife, mm-mm, right? And you get, now, sometimes other people will also help you. So like for that example, your wife will tell you, uh-uh, right? But sometimes, and primarily it's the Holy Spirit, and usually when we have thoughts we're about to act, they're the Holy Spirit, if you are paying attention, will say, uh, that's not the best idea. Now, can you blow through a stop sign? Sure. But the Holy Spirit will give you a stop sign. And it will begin to speak to you and say, you're going the wrong way. Now, why does that happen? And what should our response be to it? See, the why of when that happens, the reason, maybe before you became a Christian, you thought, you know, I was, I was good, I was fine, I was just going this way, and then I became a Christian, and now I feel like I, I have these things that come up, and I'm like, oh, that's not right, I can't do that, and now I have to do something different, and now there's a conflict within you. I thought it was supposed to get easier. Well, there's a conflict within you when you became a Christian, and it's because of something that happened supernaturally when you were saved. In fact, we're going to celebrate it next week in baptism. You see, our spirit is reborn, Scripture says, and so now it's joined with Christ. And when we have baptism, what we're doing symbolically is we're saying, I am going to lay down into the waters. Jesus was baptized, and as if dead, I'm saying there is a death, and then there is a spiritual new life that's being raised from the dead. There is a rebirth that's happening. So when you ask Jesus to be in your life and you surrender to him, something happens in you where your spirit all of a sudden is awakened. It is made new. It is alive. Now, before we came to Christ, our spirit and our flesh were, so to speak, rowing in the same direction. Have you ever tried to row a boat with two people before? And you got one person on one oar and the other person on the other oar. And you say, ready, let's row. And you do this in circles. And you try to go and then you do this. Why does that happen? Because you're not in sync. You're not rowing the same direction. And so what do you do? You say to one person, move, let me take both oars. And then you start moving and you start going. When, when before we were saved, our spirit and our flesh were both rowing in the same direction. 
But when we gave our lives to Jesus and our spirit is reborn, guess what's happening? Our flesh is still wanting to go this way and our spirit's saying, this is the way. And now we're doing this. Now, sometimes we have this conflict within us because our flesh, until we are with Jesus someday in eternity, our flesh is still trying to drag us in a direction and our spirit is saying this is the right direction. Now, the more you walk with Jesus and the more you learn to listen to the Spirit's leading, the more, Paul says, you get, learn how to crucify the flesh and you learn to walk in the right direction. But it's a never-ending thing. Paul, the greatest apostle who wrote half the New Testament, says, I have yet to achieve the goal. I have yet to win the prize, but I am continuing on. See, the good news is, is that we can train through the power of the Holy Spirit our flesh to move in the same direction as the Spirit. You can do that. If you're in a place today where you're frustrated, maybe it's a habit, it's addiction, it's a thought process, it's the way that you speak, there's things in your life that, and, and here's the thing, every human being has thoughts and you're like, that wasn't a very good thought, right? You can do something with that thought. You can take that captive, you can ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in the right way, or you can act on it and you can go a wrong way, okay? So you can train the flesh, but it's hard. It's tough work. It's tough work. The believer can also ignore the conviction of the Spirit. And if you do ignore the conviction of the Spirit repeatedly, you get to the point where your heart and your conscience are hardened. Hebrews 3.13 tells us that you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So as a believer, as a believer, you can actually, the Bible tells us, get to a place where sin doesn't really bother you that much anymore because you've been hardened. And we begin to say things like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. And that's a dangerous place to be as a believer, as a Christian, because we can get to a place where we're doing things and we're like, I don't see what the big deal about that is. And we walk in these directions and we get this hardened place. In fact, Paul talks in Romans 6, he says, uh, should we sin more so that we can just get more grace? And then he follows it up with a season of like, that's garbage. Or he says, of course not. Why would you do that? But see, we can get to this place where the Holy Spirit, we've blown so many stop signs and we're telling the Holy Spirit, it's okay, God will forgive me. It's not that big of a deal. And that becomes a dangerous place to live our lives because then what happens is we are prone to accidents. We're prone to problems. And our response, it says in Scripture, should look like Ezra's response in Ezra chapter 9. The first thing he did was he was appalled. And it says that twice in the Scripture here. He was appalled. The idea of this word in the Hebrew signifies being appalled, shocked, horrified, and devastated. So when sin was revealed, he was completely taken back and he was shocked and devastated. I cannot believe that we've done this. The second thing that we see is that he mourned. It says that he tore his garment and pulled his hair out. That doesn't sound fun. Either way. But what we see is that 
tearing of the garment and pulling the hair out in that culture was a sign, an external sign of extreme sorrow. So if people saw Ezra and he's pulling out his beard and his hair and he's ripping his clothes, they're like, that guy's really upset and sad about something. That was culturally what that expression looked like. And we see later in chapter 10 that he was also weeping at this, at this news. And then the third thing we see in these few verses in Ezra 9 is that he humbled himself. It says that he fell upon his knees, he spread out his arms to the Lord and says, God, I'm embarrassed to even look at your face. I'm embarrassed. I blush, he says, to look at you. I'm ashamed to look at you. And when we're confronted by sin in our life, it should take our breath away. It should take our breath away. We, we, live in a, we live in the new covenant of Jesus where the forgiveness and grace and the mercy of Jesus are ready and available at any moment. Amen. Are you happy? Are you glad? We should be the happiest people on earth. In fact, there was a book about that. Because of the grace of Jesus. And what happens though is we don't respond like Ezra does to sin. We're like, eh, you know, God will forgive me. But our response when we're confronted by sin in our life, oh, it should take our breath away. It should take our breath away. And if it doesn't, we've become numb. It's become ordinary. It's become, well, oops, I messed up. Oops, sorry about that. Probably shouldn't have done that. Ezra's response is the appropriate response. It's not enough to just say, oops, sorry about that. You know when you say, oops, sorry about that, is when you accidentally bump into somebody in a crowded area. That's an oops, sorry about that. Sorry doesn't do anything except make you feel bad. That's what sorry does. Oh, I feel bad. That's unfortunate. Shouldn't have done that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7 in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, he says I'm not happy. Oh, he says, actually he says, I am happy. Not because you were sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance, he says. He goes on to say in verse 10, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, he says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now, why would worldly sorrow bring death? He's saying it's not enough to feel sorry about it. You have to take action and do something about it. Because worldly sorrow, just, you just feel bad, but there's no reconciliation that happens. There's no repair of a relationship that happens. There, there's, there's nothing that, that happens that says, I, am, I was going one way, and now I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to get on the right course. You have to do something about it. Sorry's not enough. And that something that he's talking about that we need to do about is repentance. And I'm going to dive into what repentance is, but I first want to show you what the impact can have on your life. I'm going to, I'm going to sell you repentance today, hopefully. I don't know if you're buying, but I'm selling. Why does repentance matter? You might think, well, you know, it's re I've heard the word, it's a biblical word, but I want to talk to you about the impact of repentance, why it's important, and then we'll dig into what it is. So let's go to Ezra 10 now, verse 1 through 4. And it says, While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, 
and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shaniah the son of Jehiel, the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God, and we have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and put away these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Those are some great words. If you're ever leading anything in your life, you want to hear the people that you're leading say, we are with you. Be strong and do it. But look at this impact, the impact of acknowledging wrong, the impact of humbling yourself, the impact of being grieved over broken relationships. It impacts others. And the first thing we see is that there's influence. There's influence. I never realized it before until I was reading this. Repentance is contagious. It's actually contagious. There's influence. The people saw him, his heart being rendered to the Lord and they joined him. They joined him. And you too have influence. You have influence in your families. You have influence in, with your friends. You have influence with your jobs. And I want to encourage you as Christians, model in your life turning back to God. Model in your life turning back to God. Model forgiveness. Model making relationships right. Model humility because your actions influence others. We just tell someone around you, someone's watching. Someone's watching. Well, we know God's watching. That's not what I mean. I mean, there's people watching. People are watching your example and they're leading. I, the first thing that we've got to do in parenting, and parenting's hard. Is parenting hard or easy? Hard. One of the hardest things to do as a parent is to, is to humbly correct. Isn't that hard? How many people, has anyone ever made the, don't raise your hand, the grave mistake of telling someone else, this is what you need to fix about your parenting? Unsolicited, by the way. <sighs> right? It was claws, you know, came out. It's hard to correct. But when we look at our kids and we're seeing behaviors and we're like, where did this come from? The first place to look is right here. And to ask myself, what am I modeling? What am I not depositing? Now, that not, might not be the case. They may have picked it up, and probably they picked it up somewhere else. Not at, you're not from home, right? Just, just give you the benefit of the doubt. But you want, to, and that can go for good things too, by the way. Now, the bad things they picked up somewhere else, all the good things they do, they picked up from you as a parent. Of course. Right? That's how it works. But the reality is we've got to look at ourselves and say, what am I modeling? Because I have influence with others in my life. The second thing that happens, the second impact was hope. Repentance feels like this thing. Sometimes when we say it, we're like, oh, that's that thing where you kind of wallow before the Lord and you're like, oh, I'm terrible. But actually repentance is hope. There's so much hope. They say in the scripture here in Ezra chapter 10, they say, for now, for now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. When we acknowledge the problem, we stop making excuses and commit to doing something about it, there is tremendous hope. 
You could have been going the wrong direction for a long time. You might be in a place in your relationships, friendships, dating relationships, marriage relationships, work relationships, where it's been fractured for a long time. And I will tell you, if you can do what we're talking about today, there is hope for you. If you can, if you can learn how to turn there is hope. Hope that God is going to move in the situation. Hope that it's not too late and not too far gone. Hope that when we humble ourselves and pray, God will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. There is hope. And they felt a hope that things would be made right again. The third impact that we see here is the impact of reconciliation. They renewed their covenant with God and it says they took an oath to follow his ways. They reconciled their hearts back to relationship with God. Ultimately, this is what repentance does. It restores. It redeems. It recognizes. It reconciles. We think repentance means to be wrong, but repentance actually restores and reconciles. And in our lives, maybe you've been going around saying, oops, sorry about that, but you've never truly come to someone and said, I ask for your forgiveness for this hurt that I've done to you and give them an opportunity to hear that out of your mouth and to say, I forgive. That's where repair happens. That's where the deep wounds begin to heal. And it does this in our relationship with God and our friendships and in our marriages. There is tremendous impact that repentance has not only in our lives, but it impacts the lives of others. And it is critically important in the life of a believer. And I want to use a, a term this morning that's much simpler than the word repentance. We have these big biblical terms like justification and sanctification and repentance. But let's just use a simple four-letter word. Starts with a T, turn. That's it, turn. That's all it is. That's all it is. Let's take all the mystery out of this. It is just about turning. Let's talk about what that turning looks like. What does turning mean for us? according to scripture. As we saw earlier, the Bible uses the word repentance. And I went and I, I kind of searched out what repentance means in the context of scripture. And in the New Testament, the word means to have a change of heart and mind, to amend by hating past sense, to amend by hating past sense. So you might be thinking, great, that's what I did when I became a Christian. I did that. I had a change of heart and mind. I said, I hate the way that I, I lived, and I amended that. I'm done. Now I'm here. I got the golden ticket. I'm ready. I'm good. But it's not an event. It is not an event. It is a lifestyle for the believer. And here's what it looks like. Let's go to Ezra, back to Ezra, verse, chapter 10, verse 11. This is, this is all repentance is. This is all turning looks like. It says this. It says, now then, make confession. Say confess. To the Lord, the God of your fathers, to do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Confess and then correct. That's it. Like that's the whole mystery. It's not more complicated than that. It's that simple. When you are confronted with sin, there's really just two things to do. Confess and correct. Confess it. What does that mean to confess? That means to take ownership, to acknowledge the wrong. Does anyone have a hard time admitting they were wrong? 
I got two hands up. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I want to be right. But I'm not always right. I'm wrong at least twice a year. I mean, a, a week or a day or whatever. <laughs> no one wants to admit they're wrong, but that is the beginning of turning is to confess. It's to name it and seek forgiveness. I, I, want, I want you to learn to get specific with the Lord. Rather than saying, God, I just haven't been feeling like we're good lately. I just feel like I haven't been, I've kind of been off track and, and I don't know. Can you just forgive me? That's so vague. Can you imagine that apology to a, a human next to you? Like, I don't know, I might've done something wrong. And they're like, oh, you did something wrong. I can tell you exactly what you did wrong, right? It, it's important, whether it's with God or another person, name it. Name it. Lord, here's the thing. I was thinking about this the other day, and I know that it's not a godly thought. In fact, I was actually, um, you know that thing about like, don't murder, and then like also don't think murderous thoughts in your heart? Like, so God, I was doing that. And God, um, his name was, insert the blank, right? And, uh, and, and Lord, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying like that kind of a, of a thought process of really like going to the place of being frustrated to like, I hate this person. Lord, I know that's, it's turning me sour. It's doing something within me. And, I, and I'm, every time I see them or think of their name, I get angry and then it's informing my whole day and now I'm just angry all the time, right? You go to the Lord and you say, God, this is exactly what it is that I feel like I'm wrong about. And you're speaking it out. God, I was watching this online. And Lord, it's not of you and it's not okay. I am confessing, Lord, I'm wrong. Lord God, I was talking about my husband really negatively to my three friends. And Lord, that wasn't okay. Because Lord, it's a, that's, that's gossip. And it's also like really shaming and it's disrespecting. And, and Lord, it doesn't do anything to help my marriage. Lord, I'm going to tell you exactly this is what I was doing. And Lord, I'm confessing that it wasn't okay. And we get specific with the Lord. Not just this general of like, Lord, I don't know. I'm just feeling off right now. Do you see the difference between those two things? Get specific to name it and then say, God, I need forgiveness. Name it, say, wife, I need forgiveness. Name it, husband, I need forgiveness. Name it, friend, will you forgive me? That is what confession is. And when you confess, you never have to wonder. I have great news if God's going to forgive you. You never have to wonder. There is no question. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us for, from all unrighteousness. I'm sure as a Christian, you've had something in your life where you've thought, you know, I should probably stop doing that. I should probably stop. And you know, maybe you even did stop doing that. But I want to challenge you to take it a step further. Confess it. Say it. Declare it out to the Lord. Say, God, this is it. And Lord, I need to turn. The second thing they did here is correct. So we confess it and we correct it. Because I, I can admit all day long. Well, I can't admit all day long. I can sometimes admit that I'm going the wrong direction. But nothing changes if I don't do anything about it. It doesn't help to be driving this way and go, we're going the wrong way. Do you ever watch, anyone ever watched Amazing Race? Oh, that show. 
it drives me nuts because they'll be going the wrong, there are teams, they're going the wrong way for like over an hour. And they're like, I'm pretty sure we're going the wrong way. Yeah, I feel like we are too. What should we do? Let's just keep going. <laughs> what? Turn around. What are you doing? And they just keep going the wrong way and then they lose. Of course. We can admit we're going the wrong way, but nothing changes unless we do something about it. The Hebrew word for repent is the word shuv. It's spelled S-H-U-W-B, shuv. And it means this, to turn away and to turn back. Just like when my car is headed in the wrong direction, I need to do more than declare I'm going the wrong way. In fact, I need to do more than just slow down, and I need to do more than just pull over, although that's a really good start. I need to make the U-turn. I need to go the other direction. Here's what repentance is. It is the ongoing process of turning around. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole mystery. And I use the word ongoing because in the life of a Christian, it needs to be, it should be ongoing. I want to just tell you something in love as your pastor. You're not so spiritual that you never need to turn around. You're not. You're really not. And if you're like, oh, you haven't seen me. Like, I'm good. Then go to the Lord and say, God, will you work on my pride? Lord, would you work on my inability to admit that I can be offensive or abrasive or whatever it is? I mean, you can ask anyone else in your life, hey, do, do I ever seem ungodly to you? Because I think I've got it all figured out. Take a poll. <laughs> but be ready for the answer. But make sure, be honest with me. I won't be upset with you, right? Say that. It's better to go ask the Lord that question and let the Holy Spirit, because you're not too spiritual that you're like, I've just got it together. You've got to come before the Lord and say, God, I'm going this way, and I acknowledge it's the wrong way, and then we do a turn. We do a turn the other direction. In the military, they call it an about face. Do we have any military people here? Thank you for that, by the way. What I learned this week is, is, is there's a position called about face, and that is where you're not just turning right or turning left, it's where you're turning 180. But the only time, if I'm wrong, just shout it out and correct me, that they call for an about face is when you are in the position of attention. So you're called to attention first, and then they call the about face. And the Lord wants to call you to attention this morning. And then he wants to say, I'm going to call an about face. It doesn't happen when they rest. The soldiers aren't sitting down eating lunch and someone shouts out about face. They say, attention, they stand, and then it's about face. Would you just stand with me this morning? And would you do me a favor? Would you face the back of the tent? The Lord is calling you today to turn. And would you just symbolically, I know this is weird to face the back at the end of a church service, but here's, there's a purpose to this. I want us to just ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to turn around? Where do you want me to turn around? Are there things in my life that you're saying, come back, Lord, turn around? 
search our hearts. And the Lord is calling you to attention this morning and saying about face. And as Mike leads us this morning, I want you to just ask the Lord, say, God, where do I need to turn? And then I want you to say it out to him and confess it. And then say, God, I'm turning around. And then you turn back around this way. Lord, I'm going to pray over you. And then you will just, you just go as you feel led to say, God, would you turn me? It, it doesn't have to be something major. We think, oh, I did all these things wrong, but maybe it's something like, you know, God, I know I'm supposed to be doing this to lead my family, but Lord, I'm not. I know I'm supposed to be spiritually heading my family, but Lord, I'm really not. Lord, I, I know I'm supposed to be an example here, but, but Lord, it's just too much work. Whatever that is, Lord, I pray right now that you reveal to us our hearts, Lord God, and show us in our lives how to go through an ongoing process of turning around. We just hear the Spirit of God declaring right now attention to his people and calling out about face. When he does for you right now in this place, you confess it and you correct it and turn around and we're going to worship God together. Pastor Mike, will you lead us as we close this morning? You just... Church, just, just respond when the Lord calls you to respond.